Good evening. It's a blessing to be able to be here. It's a privilege. Um, we've really enjoyed this week. Uh, when uh, we were called a few months ago, uh, a little longer than that, and told about the possibility of being able to be here, I'll say what I said on Sunday I, uh, to begin with, so I don't know why uh, I'm being invited out of the 26 missionaries you all support, uh, but we do appreciate uh, the honor you have given us to be able to be here. Uh, it's, of course, special for us because Brother Diedrich is family, and uh, getting to be with them at any point is always a blessing. Uh, the Foxes have always been uh, very close to our heart also, and uh, many of you all uh, have been a special place to our life. And, of course, my wife, for her, it's coming home. And so uh, it's always a blessing to be able to be here. Uh, thank you for the food. Thank you for the fellowship. Uh, thank you for the hospitality uh, to the Diedrichs, and I know we're family, but that doesn't mean you have to put up with us. And so thank you for uh, allowing us to be able to be there. Uh, thank you for uh, the conversations. Uh, one thing I love about the mission field is, and it's partly because I was raised Mexican, but I think most mission fields are this way. Uh, the clock doesn't always mean too much, you know, and one of the ways you can see it is after church, people hang around. You know, when you come to the States, and sometimes five minutes after services, everybody's gone. And uh, Wayland's really never been that way. You know, some of you disappear, but most of you stick around and we just talk and talk. And I don't know what it is, but wherever we go, we're like the last ones leaving. People are like, you can turn off the lights when you're heading out. And so we have that habit, I guess, and then maybe it's a little more in the culture, but uh, we really appreciate the time you've invested. And I think of guys like Christopher, they've driven up all the way from Kirksville every night and just a fellowship of hanging around and talking to young people. Uh, we've had wonderful conversations with many of you. And, um, I got to thinking, this is something that we've written over the years, um, <clears throat> struggled a lot uh, today, and I'll just be uh, bluntly honest, uh, with what to preach, uh, three or four different messages really going around the head, uh, just really uh, almost hoping we had another week, <laughs> right, Brother Shrog, there's probably a lot more things we could, you know, we wish, and it's on the heart to be able to, to speak about when it comes to missions, uh, but time has a way of flying by, uh, but I, if you'd allow me the few minutes to be able to do this... <clears throat> Um, may I give you some, it has nothing to do with the message, but can I give you some suggestions for making missions live uh, in your home and in your family? Um, <clears throat> specifically for those of you that have children at home. Um, this is something that over the years we've been asked by pastors and groups when they've come down to visit us, and we've asked pastors say, you know, how can we get our families more involved? And some of it I've taken from other books, and of course we don't have time to get into any of it really, but just, uh, just some very simple, almost one-liners, and just to uh, give you some suggestions for keeping missions at the forefront of the home and of the family and even at the church. Number one, read the letters. You know, truly digest the information. You know, it's amazing. Uh, we put out, uh, in our case, we have 51 supporting churches, and we put out a sign-up sheet, and I don't know how many uh, letters all other missionaries put out, but we're right now putting about 950 emails basically every time we send an email out. And uh, we usually get four or five answers, you know. And I used to use um, MailChimp, but I got so tired of seeing who didn't open it. So I got away from MailChimp because it was discouraging to see how many people never opened them, uh, you know. But uh, it is always a blessing when people do and when they answer. And I'll get to that in a second. But <clears throat> take the time to read. And I know we're all busy. 
And I know we all have so much going on. And I know uh, you don't support one missionary. You support here at Wayland 26 missionaries. That's a lot of letters. And that's where it's neat to have people like those in the women's missionary circle and others that, you know, condense those letters into the basic points. And I know you all do that here. But I would encourage you to read the letters. Truly digest the information that's sent to you from your different missionaries. Number two, visit the available websites. You know, we're in a day and age where almost every missionary has got websites. they got Facebook or they got other stuff to where you can see videos. Many of your missionaries after COVID, you can go and see their services online. And you can actually go and, you know, see what their music's like and see how many people are showing up at service and hear a special and be part of the service in that way. And that's something that you can do to be informed. You know, what's going on? What, uh, what is their service like? Number three, reach out to your missionaries. You know, a phone, text, a message, an email. Uh, you know, give them a simple uh, 10-4, a ditto, or a, a copy of that. You know, a thumbs up even. Uh, it, it means a lot. And it really does uh, help when you know that there is information going both ways in that sense. Uh, number four, educate yourself as to the reality and the context of the situation where your missionaries are at. You know, uh, some of your missionaries are in places where it's uh, pretty much nigh to illegal to be there. Some of your missionaries are in places where there is financial needs. Others are in places where they're alone and there is no fellowship with any other missionaries and churches. Uh, others have a team of missionaries working together. I mean, there's, every context is different, but you know, to truly be able to pray, you have to inform yourself and educate yourself on it. Uh, you know, I I have quite a few friends that are in investments. And uh, a couple of my friends say, every day before my feet hit the ground, I already am on my phone seeing where my investments are at. And I have applied that to missions. And I've said, you know, we're investing in missions. You know, y'all as a church are investing hundreds and thousands of dollars every month and every year into missions. And I think we should want to know where our money's going. And we should want to know how it's being used. And so I would encourage you, you know, educate yourself on where your money's going, how it's being used, and who's out there. Number five, and this kind of goes tied in with the other, but pray for them. Genuinely pray for them. Uh, you know, prayer based off the information that you've collected. Prayer based off of an informed relationship. You know, one man said, and this wasn't my father-in-law, but one man said, he said, I never prayed for missionaries the same until my daughter became a missionary's wife. You know, once it hits home, <laughs> once it's your nephew, your granddaughter, your son, your daughter, then it's like, hey, and you pray for him literally every day. You know, I'd encourage you, pray for your missionaries as if they were related to you, you know, and, and, and develop that relationship and truly pray for them. Um, number six, um, let the information flow both ways. And uh, there's a lot that can be said about this, but simply, you know, let us know what's going on here. You'd be surprised how many times in a month uh, Wayland and your names and your Facebook pages pop up on ours and we want to know what's going on and we pray for you as best we know, but sometimes it's hard. You know, we don't know what's happening. And so if any of you think, well, they already know, they're related, they're friends, they know what, no, don't, don't trust to that, you know. Let us know what's going on. Let us know how we can better pray for you. Any of y'all young people that are looking at ministries and looking at, you know, serving God and you're like, hey, <clears throat> I want an inroad with another missionary or somebody can give me some suggestions, some counsel, never feel uh, like you can't reach out. Uh, we got some churches and some pastors that are very specific about this. They send us emails. They send us, you know, updates. And, and I know not every church can do that, but it's just exciting when you get information and it's going both ways. It's coming and it's going. Number seven, visit the field. This has been mentioned several times this week. And uh, I know not everybody can, uh, but I would encourage you, and Brother Mayetta said it a while ago, you know, come and see. You know, you will never pray for missionary the same after you've visited the field. You will never come back and use tap water or a water heater or, you know, maybe go to your Starbucks or whatever. And I know we're in the Midwest here, but still, you will never come to your home uh, 
in most cases, the same after you've been to most parts of the world. You'll be grateful. You'll be grateful for your highways. You'll be grateful for, uh, you know, the greenery. You'll be grateful for the clean streets. I mean, there's different things that will come about and happen. But visit your missionary. You know, spend time. Uh, We've said this many times, and I talked to one of the young ladies today. I said, hey, if you can get permission and you can get a plane ticket, you know, we got here for $800 this time. Usually you can get it up to $600, $650. We had one guy that came to visit us for about $350. Uh, We had somebody just buy a ticket to go from Ambassador Direction, North Carolina. They paid $16 for the round-trip ticket. Don't ask me how they did that. I have no idea. But they were bragging about $16 for plane ticket to Aruba, and I said, what? And so anyway, um, use it. You know, try to find a way. And uh, we can uh, put you up, and I'm not joking, for up to three months. And uh, you can be in Aruba for up to three months with American Passport. And if you can get the time to be there, I guarantee you we will keep you busy. If you want to preach and teach and lead, we will put you in as many places as we can. In our case, we're in a place to where most of our, speak, most of our people speak English as a first or a second or a third or a fourth language. Uh, and people can communicate mostly. And so uh, we, we can put you to work pretty much at the drop of a hat, you know, even if it's just short time. Uh, if you're going to take a cruise, well, I don't kind of get a cruise that goes that way, you know, and drop off in Aruba for the afternoon, let us take you for lunch and kind of show you around. It's happened. We've got several people that have done cruises, and they're like, well, if I'm going to take a cruise, I might as well do the one that goes to Aruba and see our missionary. You know, uh, if you're going to do a family vacation, come and snorkel on Aruba, and we won't bother you every day, but come to church with us and see the ministry and come back and be an ambassador for us. Hey, we saw the shields, and we saw what's going on. And I think every one of us that are here, and there's several missionaries tonight, we would all echo this. Come and visit us. We, we want you to see the field. And if you find a missionary that says, we don't want you to come, uh, just send the money and leave us alone. I don't know about y'all guys, but immediately my flag starts going up. And I'm like, what do they not want us to see? Uh, You know, but go and see and get first-hand information. Number eight, adopt a missionary. I know we support them all and we're supposed to pray for all of them, but I would encourage you. uh, My parents have been in mission field for 45 years now. I would encourage you to adopt a missionary. Find somebody that you can relate with. Find somebody you can truly pray for, you can truly connect with, and two or three missionaries if you feel like you can do it, but develop a relationship. Send them birthday gifts, you know, send them uh, Christmas gifts, uh, get the relationship flowing on a deeper level, but, you know, adopt somebody that you can invest in that's on the mission field. Uh, Number nine, have missionaries in your home. You know, I don't know about the rest of the missionaries here today. I got eight kids. So I know what it's like to stay in a motel room with, with 10 people. Last year we traveled with three young ladies that were with us, so it was 13 of us. Uh, we spent over $30,000 in gas, and now I want to mention how much we spent in motels and stuff and everything in five months. You know? And people would say all the time, I'm sure you don't want to stay in a church, right? You know, I mean, in a house. I'm sure you don't want to stay with somebody because uh, that's probably very stressful. And there's families that prefer, you know, put me up in a motel 100 times over and put me up in a home. But personally... My feeling has always been I would much rather be in someone's home because the relationships that I have formed with people over the years in their homes have been lifelong. I know people today that I call them uncle and aunt. You know, I got relatives all over the place that aren't blood related. And a lot of that started as a kid, you know, that stayed in their house. And so uh, if you're the kind that says, well, but people want their privacy, well, in some cases, you know, maybe leave it as an open door. Uh, but, uh, you know, invite somebody to your house. And I know more than Midwest where you don't just show up at somebody's house necessarily, but, uh, you know, have somebody at your table. When's the last time you had a missionary sitting around your table for coffee after service some night? You know, uh, I would encourage you, you know, have a missionary in your home when there's opportunities to do so. Uh, number 10, get to know your world. A geography. Um, <clears throat> languages. Uh, folks, whether we like it or not, and I've mentioned this in other instances, we are right now going to very quickly going to become the largest Spanish-speaking country of the world. 
From what I understand, there is not a single nation of the world that doesn't have a representation in the United States. And I'm talking a representation of people living here that speak that language and are from that culture. The United States is a breadbasket in the sense of the whole world coming to live here one way or another. Uh, every language of the world is becoming represented here. Uh, we have so many opportunities here in the U.S. to be able to truly impact the world. We're becoming a mission field in many, many different ways and cases. You know, but get to know your world. There's geography courses. We got a good friend down south Missouri, Matt Stallman. He put together an impact geography, he called it. And it's a geography course that is meant to be used in homeschool or churches or Bible institutes, Bible colleges. And it's like a four or five month. It's not very expensive. Uh, it's meant to be used like in a home setting. Uh, and it's geography of the world taught from the eyes of a missionary. And they go through missions philosophy, they go through missions history, and they go through the continents and how the missions have grown and how missionaries went and all the missions movements. Impact geography, Google it, look at it, you know, it is well, very well made. Uh, it's all online, you can go at your own speed, you know, but uh, some of you young people that are truly and genuinely looking at the world, you know, get into something like that. Educate yourself as to what's out there. Uh, the Bible says in one of the verses that I use quite often, I know I can kind of tire with this, but you know, my eye has affected my heart. I'm not going to be burdened with something that I don't know about. I must educate myself. I must be informed as to what's out there. Number 11, make those who serve God your heroes. And I know we can sometimes make heroes out of people that really shouldn't be heroes. And I know some people don't deserve to be made heroes out of. And coming from a missionary, you know, you might think, well, what do you mean? Well, there's, uh, they're, 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 I'll just put it this way. I think sometimes there's a lot of fakes out there, and we've got to be careful, and we all need to be humble in, in, in that sense. But, but folks, there's, there's people out there that, you know, we mentioned this the other day, and I don't want to get into it and preach the point again, but, you know, if you're a Cardinal fan, your kids most likely are going to be Cardinal fans. You know, if you're a passionate hunter, most likely your kids are going to be a passionate hunter. You know, if you are into golf or you're into basketball or you're into swimming or you're into taking, you know, vacations and going four-wheeling other places, that is what your family typically is going to be led into. You know, around your table and in your home, who are the heroes? Who are the people that are talked about? Who are the people that are lifted up? Is it people that are serving God? Is it people that are out there doing something for God? You know, uh, may our kids hear us speaking well uh, of people that are serving God. Uh, number 12, read missionary biographies. Uh, we're in a day and age where very few people seem to read, but read missionary biographies. There's old and there's new, and some of the oldest books are some of the best, but saturate yourself with some of the ways God has used them and some of the impossible things that Brother Maeda was talking about that happened in the past and are happening today that, that impact our children and our mind and the way we pray and the way we think. And number 13, and this one I'll just end with it, and there's a couple more we could add, but I'll finish with this and go on. Uh, invest financially in missions. You know, and I know you do as a church. But I would encourage you to make sure that as an individual, you are financially investing in missions. It's not just, hey, our church does a lot for missions, but it's something that you can say, I am investing in missions. Uh, and it's something that we're doing. Now, just in case you're thinking, well, Brother Matt, you're a missionary. It's easy to talk about money from your point of view. I'm a pastor also. I'm a pastor of three churches right now. Our Spanish church supports nine missionaries. We're about to take on two more. Our English church is three years old, and we support three missionaries. Our mission is... Uh, not even a year old. It'll be a year old in a couple months. And uh, we support two missionaries and about to take on a third. And I told Brother Schrock, I said, Brother Schrock, if you can make it over to Aruba, I can guarantee you 
will probably be the only visit you make on the island, but you know, uh, we'd love to have you and we'd love to take you in for support. I know our church, we're looking for people that you don't, you don't just stop by Aruba on deputation, you know, it doesn't happen. <laughs> but if we can get you there and get you to see the church and know the people, we'd love to support you. We're looking for missionaries to support. And we've taught our people from the very first month we started our first church and did the same in Mexico, uh, is to start supporting missionaries because we believe that one of the greatest blessings that can come for a local church is when they invest in missions. And so uh, I would encourage you to, on a personal level, as you do on a local level, invest in the things of the Lord. Now, having said all of that, I know I took some minutes to do it, uh, but I would just encourage you, make missions real. Thank you all for this conference. It is such a blessing. Uh, Each of these flags are more than just decoration. They represent millions of people. And 8 billion people living today. And so many of them have such a need. So many of them are wells that have been stopped up. You know, places where the gospel used to be and it's not there. And other places where there never was a well dug. Other places where no one ever went. And we still have yet to send someone from our country to go preach the gospel there. And uh, as we said the other day in the last message, you know, I, I want a piece of that cake. I want a piece of the fruit. I want a piece of that pie, you know, and I hope you do too. Let's get there and let's do something. Let's be involved. Uh, but thank you so much for this conference. Thank you for all you have done for us, and we will continue to pray for you. Uh, pray for me tonight. I'll be leaving at 2 o'clock in the morning to get to the airport. My plane leaves at 7, so I've got to be there about 4.35. Uh, and so uh, pray for our family. Uh, Naomi and Tierce and Sela uh, are heading to uh, North Carolina in a few days, drop off Tierce at college. Uh, if you see Tierce and I kind of weepy eye tonight, it's because we got to say goodbye to each other tonight. And um, the Mayettas know this. And, you know, um, uh, it's, um, it's one of the prices I guess you pay. <laughs> it, it's, part of, it's part of being overseas. It's part of being in a different place. And it's not easy. Um, let's not go there. <laughs> um, Romans. Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> Give me a second here. Romans chapter 15. I preached the other day on Romans and getting a vision for Rome and having a desire like Paul to want to go to Rome. Uh, I guarantee you I'm not going to be very long tonight. I don't want to. I don't want to wear you out after supper, you know, especially the kind of supper we just had. You know, I know everybody is probably struggling to stay awake. And so uh, I appreciate your attention, and I will do my best to uh, let us out as early as possible. Uh, But as we get into this, and I'm not really, I'm I'm not going to do expository justice to this passage. I wish we had the time to, because I believe Romans 15 is an amazing uh, chapter. It's a missionary chapter, and there's a lot of missionary principles here within the words that that, that Paul gives us. And I want to look at something very simple. You know, if I had to put a title on it, I'd probably do something like Paul's missionary philosophy or ministry philosophy. And it's really not even all of his philosophy, because there's other things that I'm sure could be added to it from other passages. But he mentions three very simple things. Uh, when you get to Romans chapter 15, of course, it's really, he's coming down to the end. I know chapter 16 is still there, but chapter 16, really a lot of it's just naming off people that he's sending greetings to and naming off the people that are working with him. And there's a total, I think, of 35, 36 names he goes through there. And he's sending the letter through Phoebe. Uh, but chapter 15 is really the kind of the last few comments he's given and he's closing out the book, you know. And his last few statements, if you look at verse 14, for example, he um, He's persuaded that the Christians in Rome, which remember again, like we mentioned the other day, he hasn't met them, he's never been there, but from what he knows about them, he says three things about them. He says, and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Three things he says about them, he says, you're full of goodness, uh, and, and that's quite a statement, you're filled with all knowledge, 
uh, and then you're able to admonish one another. Uh, what a wonderful thing to be able to look at a group of believers and say you're mature enough, uh, you're able to admonish one another and to grow. And so he's, he's uh, applauding uh, the, the Romans, and, and he's already mentioned at the beginning of the book, and now at the end of the book he says it in chapter 16, I think it's verse 19 again, he talks about their faith, and he talks about the fact that they had been known and, and, and worldwide and everywhere Paul had gone, people had speaking about the Romans and their faith and so forth. Well, verse 15 and on is what I want to preach. And I want to pull out three different little things here that I believe give us, a, 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 you know, especially tonight, the last night of the missions conference, something that we can really chew in a little bit before we go home. Uh, verse 15, I'll just read all the way through verse 20. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof that I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Though mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Elycrium I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Heavenly Father, I ask you to please direct us, guide us. We've already had a wonderful service, a wonderful time of fellowship around the food. Uh, Father, thank you for the beautiful songs. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder uh, just a few minutes ago that we need you. And Lord, I need you now to be able to preach. I need you to be able to communicate what I believe you've given me for this, for this evening. And Lord, we need you to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. We need you to be able to help others get there. We need you to just simply be faithful where you've placed us. We need you to grow and to catch more of a vision every day, Father. We can't do it alone, and we understand that. Help us tonight as we look at these three simple truths. Help us to be able to apply them to our lives, and may we walk out of this missions conference challenged once again. And Lord, may we have the desire to be more Christ-centered. May we have the desire to love more souls. May we have the desire to see the world with eyes that would be worthy of a believer. Father, may we uh, have a desire to do more from where we're at to the ends of the world, Father. We ask you to please direct us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get into here, and again, three simple things, and basically, um, in, in these following verses, Paul gives a little bit of his philosophy, a little bit of his thought process, and he mentions three different things. The first one I see in verse 15, it says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the, and the word is grace, because of the grace that is given to me of God. I want us to think about God's grace to begin with. You know, Paul understood the grace that is mentioned here, if I look at the context and if I'm reading it right and I'm doing the, the scripture uh, justice, is not salvation grace. It's not grace into salvation. Paul here is understanding that this isn't a saving grace, but this is the grace of the divinely bestowed apostolic uh, mandate and authority that he had. This is the grace, he's mentioning the grace of God to have selected him and chosen him and called him as an apostle and of the ministry that he has been given. We could even go further and say it's the grace that God has given to be able to do what God has called him to do. And, and Paul mentions this grace. He knew that he was serving by God's grace. He knew that he was a minister to the Gentiles, but it was only by God's grace. And if I can add to that, only through God's grace. You know, a good many people view ministry as hard and unpleasant and a burden. And many think of ministry and many think of missions. And they think, I could never do that. That's just too hard. 
I could never go there. That's just too impossible. I could never pastor. I could never preach. I could never sit with that family disciple for 15 weeks straight. I could never learn that language. I could never eat worms. I could never, you know, I could never do that. That's just too hard. Working with people is too difficult. Man, think about Paul. Paul says it came by grace, and it's a grace. You know, you think about a man that had been shipwrecked, stoned, beaten with rods. He'd been in prison. He'd been hungry, weary, naked. How many things could we mention about Paul and the difficulties he faced? And yet he says, it was given me by the grace of God. If we could only view every task in relation to the church of God and in relation to the work of reaching the world as what we consider missions, if we could only view our responsibilities as the Apostle Paul did, not as a duty to be born, but as a gift that God has given us to do. A gift to be able to serve. A gift to be able to go. A gift to be able to speak in his name. A gift to be able to represent. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 5, Paul mentions this. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, by whom we have received, again he says, grace. In apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. He mentions it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meant to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He mentions it once again in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Jesus Christ. You know, we are reminded, just in case we're to think, well, that was Paul. Well, if you go to Romans chapter 12 and you look at the list of the spiritual gifts and you look specifically at verse 6, we're reminded that each of the gifts that was given to us was given out of grace. And we are to serve and to minister. And it is by the grace of God that we were given a spiritual gift to be able to minister and edify within the local church. Folks, whatever the role is that God has given you, whether it be a missionary in a foreign field or whether it be a faithful deacon at this church for the last 20 years and for the next 20 years, whether you are a faithful man to get on the phone and call people and tell them about Christ, or whether you're being a faithful witness through your media and your outreach and your circles, or whether you're being a witness in your workplace, or whether you're working with your neighbors, or whether God calls you to preach, or whether God calls you to maybe be a martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ somewhere in the near future. I don't know. But wherever you're at, may we always remember it's only by the grace of God. Not only is it only by the grace of God that we're even called or that we're allowed to be able to be a part of what God is doing and God wants done, but it's through his grace that we're able to get it done. And that leads us to the second point. Because not only does he mention the grace, but if you'll go, and I'm just for the sake of time, we've read over this passage now twice, but if you go down with me to verse 19, it says, through mighty signs and wonders, and just so you can get the context, we'll go back to 18 here in a little bit, but he says, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Not only do we see God's grace, but we see God's power. Here, you know, Paul says what he has mentioned in many other places, and I'll take you to some of them here in a second, but he is uh, reminding the Romans, and, he be- and I believe he-, he believed this with all of his heart. He mentions it multiple times, that what he was able to see done was by God's grace and was through God's power. 
As much as Paul, sometimes you could say, oh, look, Paul must have thought a bunch of himself. Look at all the stuff Paul did. Look at the things Paul said. Look at the way he rebuked others. Look at the way, yes, but there's many cases also when Paul shows his humility and Paul understands, hey, what is being done is not because of Paul. It's all about God. You know, if you go to the book of Acts and you go through the book of Acts, you're going to see many passages, and, and it's reflected in the uh, amazing, well-known verse of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power. When? When the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And that is the secret of the power that you find throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Every time you see power, every time you see people being changed, every time you see people being broken, every time you see a spirit being expelled, or every time you see somebody being healed, you're going to see not the power of an apostle, not the power of a man, not the power of a church, but it's the power of God. It was the Holy Spirit present. It was believers that were filled with the Spirit. It was people that were submitted to the power of God. We could go to places like Acts chapter 4, verses 30, and this is just picking at random, one out of many places in the book of Acts. But it says, By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And then you jump to verse 33, and it says, And with great power he gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And you read some of the stories in the book of Acts, and you see some of the stuff that happened. It's like, how? How did they do that? How did they accomplish that? It was the power of God. Acts chapter 13, verse 4, we all talk about Paul and his three missionary trips and the great things that were accomplished in those trips. But you know, when they were first commissioned, they were chosen by the Lord and they were commissioned by the church, but they were sent out by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this in verse 4, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sell to Cyprus. And you start seeing from that moment how the Lord got, and that's why when they tried to go into Galatia, and the Lord said no. And that's why when they tried to go into Bithynia and the Holy Spirit said no, it's because it wasn't Paul's trip. It was the Lord's trip and it was the Lord opening and closing doors and it was the Lord giving the direction and it was the Lord's power that allowed that to get done. When Paul and Barnabas related all that had happened after the first trip, and if you go there with me real quick, I want to show you this and uh, we'll get back to Romans here in a second, but... Uh, if you go to the book of Acts, uh, look at verse, uh, chapter 14. Remember, chapter 13, they're commissioned to go on their first trip. All of chapter 13 and part of chapter 14, they are out there preaching and, uh, and traveling and winning souls and establishing churches. They come back, and when they come back, they come to their sending church, and the first thing they do is they gather everybody together, and they do what Brother Maeda did a while ago, and what all of us missionaries do, and we come back to report, we said, hey, this is what we have done. Am I right? Some of you are shaking your head. What's the difference? See what what God has done. And three times we see them. We see it in Acts chapter 14. We see it in Acts chapter 15 when they had a business meeting down there about the Gentile believers down in Jerusalem. And then you'll see it in Acts chapter 21. Three times Paul and Barnabas at different places, it's Paul the three times, that is given a report of what has happened. And here's his words. If you go to verse 26, and thence they sell to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace, there we see the grace again, the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that what? God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of the faith unto the Gentiles. 
Just so you don't have to turn there, but you can go, you're right next to it. Chapter 15, verse 12, it says, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and to Saul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And if you jump to chapter 21, verse 19, And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. You know, this is something that I was challenged with by a missionary years ago. As a young missionary, he was saying, well, what's God doing in your life? And I was a young preacher. Uh, I'm not too old, you know, but I was a lot younger then. And, you know, I started talking about what we were doing. I'm pastoring a church, and we've had this, and we've had that. And I was using a lot of personal pronouns. And this older man listened to me for a while, and then he said, that's really not what I asked. I said, well, I thought I misunderstood him. And he says, I asked, what's God doing? You want to talk about a, a little bit of a slap. <laughs> Back up a little bit and to say, yeah. Because it's not about what Matt's doing. It's not about what Matt can do. It's not about what Matt wants to do. It's not about us. We go back to our first message Sunday morning. Missions is all about God. It's all about his way, his will, his grace, his power. We've got to point back to him and every single time. You know, maybe today, folks, I'm talking to somebody that you will never be a missionary, but you're trembling at the knees to go witness to your neighbor. And you need to remember it's not about you. It's God's power that's going to break that heart, not your words. Maybe some of us are struggling to talk with a relative because we've known that we need to witness to them. I got a grandma that's going to turn 90 years old in December, and she's surrounded. She's been married four times. My grandfather died after his seventh divorce, and he said he was single when he died. Uh, you know, my, my, the Shields family is completely lost down there in Florida. I got uncles and aunts that I've never met. I got family that is completely off in the deep end. My dad's the only believer out of the whole family that has ever truly walked the things of the Lord. And, you know, I go back, and I'm going to try to be there in December and be for my grandmother's 90th, and she's at least close to where we are in Aruba, so I can fly over there a little bit quicker. But, you know, one of the things that I have de- determined to do this December is I want to be able to face some of my relatives because I've come to realize that, you know, I'm a missionary telling people in foreign countries about the gospel. And I got cousins and uncles that I have never once witnessed to. Shame on me. You know, sometimes it's harder to witness to someone that's close to you. Or someone that's blood related. Or someone that's, you know, you see every single day. Well, if they don't like it, you know, it's going to be an issue. It's easier to witness to somebody at Walmart or somebody that we're seeing at the gasoline station. Because if they don't like me, I don't got to put up with it. You know, maybe there's somebody here today that simply needs to say, hey, it's, it's by God's grace and through God's grace, and it is by God's power. It has nothing to do with me. Paul understood that. Barnabas understood that. And every time they had a chance, they pointed to God, and they said it is through his power. And may God help each of us missionaries to always remember that and to point and to say, it's only because of him. It's only because of him. Sometimes we're guilty of, you know, comparing notes and reading missions letter and saying, oh, this guy, Brother Maeda, I, I, I appreciate the real numbers you gave well ago. You know, you don't hear that too often. You know, in today's day, in some churches you show up and, you know, missionaries aren't talking about eight people getting saved. No, that's every Saturday, right? You know, you're baptizing five every Sunday, right? If anybody's been in a foreign field, I mean, if they're baptizing more than five a month or something like that, and God does real neat stuff in neat places and there's miracles that happen too. But if a guy steps up, and, and, and maybe it's God doing it, but the many times that I've seen it personally in my ministry and I've heard it, the sad truth is they're fabricated stories. 
And it's all built and made to make the man look good and to make the ministry look big. I appreciate real numbers. I appreciate the true fact of, hey, it's hard. It'll take years to fill the church. It'll take years to disciple people. You know, I got guys that have been saved for seven, eight years, and they're still battling with a cigarette. They're still battling with drinking. I got guys that are shacked up, and they can't be members because they refuse to get their marriage straight, and they've been in church for four or five years. That's part of it. It takes time. It takes work, and it takes effort, and that's the reality of it. But, you know, I think those are the moments that helps us remember well, it's not anything I can do. So God's grace, God's power, and if you can stand with me just a, a few more minutes, let's look at number three, God's workhorse. And, and I kind of, I name him God's workhorse because I don't really see very many more in Scripture that, and like Peter, you know, when we look at Peter, sometimes we think Peter didn't do much in comparison to Paul. Well, I don't believe that's true. You look at Peter, the few times we do see him, he was very busy, and he was out there, and he was quite missionary-minded too. He, he, he reached out to multiple places. Philip, the evangelist, I mean, Philip was all over the place preaching and ministering, and he was also there. We just don't have all that registered history that we do of Paul. But beyond a shadow of a doubt, one of the workhorses of the book of Acts and of the New Testament era was Paul. Paul was out there. And if we look at verse 19 and 20 again, and we're going to finish up here, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Elicium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was name, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. We see that it's only by God's grace, and it's God's grace that we're even allowed to be involved and to be a part of this, and that only through his grace that we can fulfill. We see that it's God's power, and it's the Holy Spirit, and it's the power of his word, and there's much more we could speak about the power of God that is what is working. But then we see God's workhorse, and, and I want to try to bring this full circle here as best I can. Because when we study the, the, the life of Paul, we see him working. We see a man of integrity. We see a man of work ethics. Consider these words. If you, if you go back to verse, uh, where is it? In, in the end of verse 18, he says, to make the Gentiles obedience by word and deed. One of the commentaries that I was reading mentioned this. They said he was a man of integrity. His lifestyle matched his message. What Paul preached is the way he lived. And what he lived was what he preached he was a man of integrity. He was a man of character. He was a man that truly invested in others. And when he worked, he confirmed it with what he said and vice versa. But then he says in the next verse, I have fully preached. Now this could be interpreted in two ways. It could be said that he preached the full gospel, which he also said he did. He said, I haven't held anything back. I've preached all the counsel of God. I preached everything I was supposed to preach. Now that's a pretty loaded statement. I mean, you've got a lot of preachers here today. I don't know how many of us could truly say that every time we stood behind the pulpit in every counseling situation and every evangelistic situation, we can say we have fully preached the gospel and we have preached the full counsel of God every time and our hands are clean of blood. Oof, that's, I got to stand here and say, I don't think I can say that. I haven't been that faithful. There's moments in which I haven't fulfilled that. Well, Paul could say it. Well, there's that way he could say he preached the full counsel of God, but here the context really doesn't seem to lean that way. It looks like he's talking geographically. And he mentions an area, and right now I forget the um, European country uh, over there in Asia Minor that would be in this area of Elycrium, but the point being it's uh, hundreds of square miles, multiple cities, and not with airplanes and not with vehicles and gas and uh, not with the modern technology that we had, but in the olden day. And he said, I have fully preached the gospel. And that's a loaded statement. This whole area, 
I have filled it with the gospel. If you look at verse 23, but now having no more place in these parts, what do you think that means? That they didn't care for him anymore in those parts? You think it means that they didn't like him anymore and they're kicking him out? No, I believe from his context, he's talking about going to Rome. He's talking about going to Spain. He's talking, he's saying, hey, I've done my job here. I've filled up this region with the gospel. I have done everything I was supposed to do. So we see in word and deed, he was a man of integrity. His lifestyle and his message matched up. He was a man who said, I have fully preached. I have covered this whole area with the gospel. And he did both of them, in fact. But then he uses the word in verse 20. Yea, so have I strived. It's to labor. Yea, so have I labored. Have I strived to preach the gospel. And he goes on to mention, because he strived not only in Asia Minor, but he is striving to go beyond, to go to other places, to go to the far beyond, to go to the Rome like we mentioned the other day. Paul worked at it. He gave it his all. If you'll go with me to one more verse, and I believe there's a direct connection here, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I'm going to ask you to look at this verse with me and I want to give you some closing comments and tie these three things together. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul was a man who was spent. He was a man who was willing to be spent. Now, some of you know exactly what it would mean to be spent. You ever, you ever been in a situation where you know you're being spent? You know others are taking advantage of you. They're burning your candle at both ends. They're using your gas, your money, your house, your time, your phone, your car. They're abusing your generosity, and you sit there and bite through your tongue. You're like, and then you realize, since I'm biting through my tongue, it's of no use to me. I should be doing it with a generous, open, willing heart. But, you know, he says, I'm willing to be spent, and I'm willing to spend myself. The way, if I could put it in a different ways, he says, I'm willing to burn my candle at both ends. Folks, Brother John Phillips, Brother Diedrich loaned me one of his commentaries. In his commentary on Romans, he said this of Paul. He said, Paul never rested on his oars. He never sat back to rest. The time was just too short. The task was just too great. The laborers were just too few. The issues were just too grave. To his underlying viewpoint, he added an undying vision. And it was never enough to say, I've already covered this area. I must go beyond. Folks, Paul says it's only, it's a grace that I can serve. And it's through his grace that I can do it. It's by his power, through his power, and the power of the Holy Spirit that this can be done. But you don't see Paul setting back and saying, God, your grace and your power I'm just going to sit here and watch. He did his part. He strove. He labored. He was spent. He allowed his candle to be burned at both ends. He, he did what he could. I know we can all fall maybe, maybe some more than others. We can fall in the hole and the guilt of wanting to do, 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 and doing the power of the flesh. And have our, and I don't know about you, I, I, I'm a paper guy. I'm not very good when digital, I, I get lost. I make a list. And every Monday I'm making a list. 
And I got a monthly list, and then I got a list to remind me of my other list, and, and, and I got lists, and I'm checking things off a list, and I'm, 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 I, that's just the way I am. I doodle a lot. I got papers, and I, everywhere I got, I got notebooks, and even my mouse pad has got all kinds of stuff written on it. You know, just, that's just the way I think and the way I memorize and the way I function. You know, but I, I can be very guilty of do, 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 and not depending on the grace of God in the power of God. But we can also be guilty of saying, God, it's all on you. You just let me know when you want me to step up. When I believe that many cases, God is wanting people who are willing to say, I will be spent. I'll spend myself. I got to give of myself. I got to burn of myself. I got to surrender of myself. And others are going to come and they're going to take more. So be it. I'm willing to strive so that the gospel will go to Rome. I'm willing to strive so that my neighbors will truly hear. I'm willing, and, and, and catch it. Again, there's a balance. It's his grace and it's his power and it's my striving. And there's a combination there. And if I ever get to the point to where it's just about my striving, then I am prideful and I will never get anywhere because in my power I can do nothing. But may God help me to never sit back and say, God, it's your work, it's your job, it's your responsibility. When I get to heaven, I'll clap along with everybody else. Nah, I want to be striving. I need to do what is my part. My strength is not sufficient, but even then I must spend my strength. My strength is not going to change a single heart. It's God's power that's going to do it. But I am still called upon to expend my strength. I am still called upon to burn my candle. And I guess what I'm trying to say this evening is, folks, Let's trust in God. Let's depend upon his grace and his power. And let's be a part of the wonderful work that he is doing in a huge wide world. And getting involved in missions is a wonderful way to do it. Because I believe it is the program, not a program. But may we be willing to be spent. Missionaries, and it's just a blessing to have so many of you here today. I don't think, I, I didn't know you were going to be here. I, didn't know you, I thought it was going to be me and Brother Shrock and that was it. What a blessing. Keep on spending Keep on investing. Keep on giving. For those of you that are good at giving out tracts, keep on handing out tracts. For those of you that are good at calling people and making a witness on your media and on your public digital world, you know, keep on doing it. Keep on investing time. Keep on fighting. You might not see all the results you think, but trust in the Lord. Trust in his power. Trust in his grace. But keep on doing what you're supposed to be doing. You might say, I don't have much finances. I don't have much time to pray. I don't have much knowledge. But what I have, I'm willing to spend. Let's hold on to his grace. Let's hold on to his power. And let's keep our feet moving. Let's do everything we can to make sure the gospel is getting out. I hope you've understood me tonight. Because I really, I really hope to not be misunderstood. I'm not promoting either one extreme or the other. I'm believing that there's a balance. 